Well, it's almost here. Present opening time is getting closer. It's always exciting opening Christmas presents, isn't it? Because you never know what you might get. Although I think that Christmas is more exciting for children because they often get what they really want, whereas I normally get what I really need. (laughs) You notice that about Christmas, the older you get. When you were a child, if you were lucky, you got what you really wanted. So a train set, a scale electrics, a bike. And now that I'm an adult, I get what I really need, uh, underwear. (laughs) Guess it's a sign that I'm getting older. You know, what I I think that what is true of Christmas presents is true of Christmas itself. That what we want from Christmas isn't necessarily what we need at Christmas. What we want from Christmas isn't necessarily the same as what we need at Christmas. And nearly 2,000 years ago now, a man called John wrote about this in a letter called Creatively First John. John was the best friend of another man called Jesus, and this is what John writes about what we need at Christmas. Speaking of Jesus, he says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen him and testify to him, and we proclaim to you the eternal life who was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have actually seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, goes on purifying us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So in this passage, John tells us about four things that we really need at Christmas, four things that God longs to give us if we will accept them. And he says that all of these things are to be found in Jesus. But before John tells us about these things, he tells us two very important things about Jesus himself, things that enable us to trust the gifts that God offers us in Christ Because sometimes it's very important to know something about the person who is wanting to give you a gift. 
Just this week, I read uh, in the Telegraph newspaper how police in South Yorkshire, England, sent out fake vouchers to 400 criminals telling them that they'd been chosen to receive a Christmas hamper and asking them to phone in to arrange delivery. And 70 criminals called in. The police arrived on their doorstep dressed as delivery men. They confirmed the person's identity and then asked them to step over to the van to receive their hamper, whereupon they were promptly arrested by police officers in the back of the van. (laughs) The fake company was called Herald Hampers, and I loved the card that went with it. It said, a new hamper specialist from South Yorkshire, bringing cheer at Christmas and memorable moments to your special occasion. (laughs) So you do want to know something about the person who is offering you a gift. And in this passage, John tells us two very important things about Jesus. Firstly, John tells us that Jesus is a man of history. Jesus is a man of history. That's quite important because Christmas can be quite a confusing time of year. You've only got to watch television or go to the shops to see that. Because you have flying reindeer right next to the angels, and you've got Father Christmas right next to the wise men. While you're in the shops, you hear, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Silent Night, and Frosty the Snowman, all bundled up together. They all get lumped together, and eventually the story of Jesus, born in a stable in Bethlehem, is simply on a par with Once Upon a Time. It's no wonder so many adults get confused at Christmas time and don't take Jesus seriously. When we discover at age 10 or whatever that the obese elderly gentleman in the crimson suit does not have objective reality, and I'm being particularly vague here not to ruin it for anyone. (laughs) But when we discover that the obese gentleman doesn't have objective reality, we conclude that the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, and the baby Jesus aren't real either. And so on the 26th of December, we close the book and we forget all about it until next year. But John writes here as a witness of things that actually happened. Look at what he says in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And John is at pains to convey to us that this isn't some sort of fairy story, that this didn't simply happen in a galaxy far, far away. It really happened. John says, we've heard, we've seen, we touched. If you'd been in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, you could have banged your shin on the manger. You could have reached out your hand and felt that tiny little hand reach up and grab your finger. You could have smelled the stable. You could have stepped in the cow. Well, you get the picture. (laughs) All of this really happened in time and space. And not only could you have seen the baby of Bethlehem, but as that baby grew, you could have been there and seen the things he did and listened to the remarkable things he said. You could have seen him heal a man born blind. You could have seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. Later, you could have watched as he died on a cross. And three days after that, you could have touched him to see that he was really alive again. John says, we saw it all. He's a witness. He's not a witness in a sense of, yes, officer, I saw the man run away from the bank. He was wearing a blue cap and a red T-shirt. John is a witness in the sense that for three years, he traveled with Jesus and lived with Jesus 24 hours a day. 
In fact, it's so interesting to see what John says. He says, that which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at. What's the difference between seeing with our eyes and looking at? Well, John is speaking about the real, hard, intense looking and thinking and mulling things over to the point that eventually the penny drops. This man, my friend, is a lot more than just a man. He's God. And that's the second thing that John tells us about Jesus, that actually Jesus is a lot bigger than we think. Look how he begins his letter. That which was from the beginning. And you'll know that John is particularly echoing those words, the very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Not only is Jesus a man of history, he's also God from eternity. I don't know how many of you have already wrapped your Christmas presents, but wrapping Christmas presents on Christmas Eve is a dangerous thing to do, especially late at night. I don't know if you've experienced this, but you've got to get the timing just right. You've got to make sure that you start to wrap the presents before the last shop closes. And you have to do that because otherwise it's 11 o'clock on Christmas Eve evening and you suddenly discover that there is no way that this jersey is going to get into this piece of wrapping paper. I mean, you could, have, you could have a degree in origami and still not get that jersey into that piece of wrapping paper. But here's the thing. In Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, all of God managed to fit inside a tiny baby. Apostle Paul writes later in the New Testament, and he says, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things are being created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The nearest star to us is the sun, and if we were to take an apple to represent our sun, by comparison, the earth would be a grain of salt. So would somebody, Liam, you look like you're a likely candidate. Would you mind holding a grain of salt for us next to our sun? Take a few. There we go. <laughs> and uh, how far do you think it would be comparatively from our sun? If you take a grain of salt and stand at the very back of the church, that's its orbit around the sun. Fantastic. Just to go back to the real um, dimensions, to, to real scale, if you could drive to the sun at 120 kilometers an hour, it would take you 150 years to get there, excluding bathroom breaks. So our planet is the third closest to the sun. Um, Pluto used to be the planet that was furthest from the sun, but then it got downgraded to being just a dwarf planet. But because it's Christmas, we'll keep Pluto. And I need a volunteer to get Pluto. Someone want to volunteer? Dave, there we go. So you hold Pluto to another grain of salt. Okay, now Dave, if you wouldn't mind going to the pick and pay center and how... <laughs> no, sit, sit, sit. You're not allowed to go. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> so if, if you could drive from Pluto to the sun in your car at 120 kilometers an hour, it would take you 6,000 years to get from Pluto to our sun. So Liam, you can come back now, actually. Sorry. 
Okay, our next nearest star is Alpha Centauri, which is uh, another apple then by comparison to our apple. How far away do you think I'll have to hold this apple in comparison to our apple to give you the dimensions of Alpha Centauri to our sun? If somebody wants to get into their car and drive 2,082 kilometers northwards, um, just 100 kilometers outside of Harare, Zimbabwe, that's how far you would have to hold up Alpha Centauri. You could travel to Alpha Centauri at 120 kilometers an hour. It would take you approximately 41 million years. And that's just a tiny cul-de-sac in one galaxy in a universe of billions of galaxies. And Paul says that in Jesus, all things were created, and in him, all things hold together. This might just be someone who has the power and the knowledge that I need to help me live my life well. He might just know a thing or two about dating, or marriage, or work, or family. He's not only the creator of the universe, he's your creator. Have you ever stopped to think how amazing you are? There was an advert for British healthcare recently that put it this way. Your heart beats around 100,000 times every day. You give birth to 100 billion red blood cells every day. Your brain is the most complex structure known to man. Your eyes can distinguish a million light surfaces. Your lungs are big enough to cover half a tennis court. Your skin is constantly replacing itself. Your blood goes on a 60,000-mile journey around your body. Just by walking, you exercise over 250 muscles. By touching something or someone, you send a message to your brain at 124 miles an hour. You are amazing, and your creator is Jesus Christ. I think as we look back over 2017 and we think about the good things that have happened to us, the friends we've made, the holidays we've had, the experiences that we've had, the meals that we've enjoyed, Jesus made it all. Tomorrow afternoon as you're sat around with family and friends and when you've opened your presents and hopefully received what you've always wanted, would you take a moment just to think, this is all from Jesus. It's all because of him. So John tells us two things about Jesus to show us that we can trust the gifts that he offers us. He tells us that Jesus is a man of history as well as God from eternity. And then John goes on to mention the four gifts that Jesus offers us today. Firstly, he offers us the gift of life. Verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen him and testified to him. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. I don't know what your response is when you hear the words eternal life. I remember hearing of a Sunday school teacher who asked a Sunday school class, what do I need to do to get to heaven? And one little boy put up his hand and said, well, miss, first of all, you've got to be dead. Or, Or the little boy whose cat died when he was at school and his parents wanting to spare him some trauma buried the cat in the back garden. When he came home from school, his mom said, we're terribly sorry, but your cat has died. The little boy said, where's the cat? His mom said, it's gone to be with God. The little boy thought about this for a moment, and then he said, what would God want with a dead cat? (laughs) Christianity isn't primarily about what happens when you're dead. Jesus says that he offers us life. 
It's a quality of life that continues beyond our death into eternity. But it's a quality of life right now. In John 10, Jesus says to us, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. Jesus offers us life as opposed to mere existence. But we distrust that, don't we? I remember once working in my study in Kimberley, which was, had a big open door out uh, into the garden. And as I was working one day, an olive thrush came in, and then it went to the lightest object, which was the window, and went slap bang into it and stunned itself slightly. And so I got a towel and uh, tried to pick it up and carry it outside, but it didn't trust me at all. It dodged the other way and went bang into the opposite window and then just beat its head against the window again and again. And I was so desperate because I wanted to rescue it, but it was terrified of me. Eventually, I managed to get a towel around it and set it free in the garden. And I'm sure it had a great story to tell all of the other, other olive thrushes about this monster. And as I thought about that bird, I thought about us and God and how we desperately run from God, convinced that he's going to ruin our lives and turn us into some kind of monk or nun. But God isn't out to spoil our fun. John tells us here in verse 5, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. Jesus won't ruin your life. Quite the opposite, in fact. He'll allow you to become the very best you possible, the you he created you to be. He offers us life. The second gift that God offers us in Jesus is the gift of fellowship. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we've actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And perhaps a better word would be community or belonging. And how many of us don't need that in our lives? Not just belonging with others, as special as that is, but belonging with God. The word fellowship means the closest possible relationship. It's sometimes used to describe a marriage, a close, intimate relationship. John had a personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible calls John the disciple Jesus loved. Of course, Jesus loved all the disciples, but John was special. He was his best friend. And it's that same close, personal friendship with God that is offered to us this morning. You might say, but hold on, don't we all have fellowship with God? You've just said he's our creator. Well, yes, we are all God's creation, but we're not necessarily all God's children. Our natural inclination is to run from God, to be at war with God, to live in God's world without reference to him. Our sin separates us from God. And so we need that relationship to be healed, not just at Christmas, but always. And that brings us then to the third gift that God offers us in Jesus. It's the gift of purity. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If my sin separates me from God, then that sin has to be dealt with in order to enable me to have a relationship with God. And John says here in chapter 2 and verse 2, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. You might say, this doesn't have much to do with me. I'm not a bad person. I pay most of my taxes. I donate to charity. I obey the Ten Commandments. I wear my seat belt and I floss regularly. Look, I can show you a whole lot of people who are worse than I am. But then look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, 
we deceive ourselves. And more seriously, in verse 10, if we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. You see, we can fool other people, but when we're alone by ourselves, we know the truth. Sometimes we can't face ourselves. We haven't loved God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul and all of our strength. We haven't loved our neighbors. We love ourselves. There are things about us that we would like to hide, things we wish we'd never said or thought or done, and there are things that we wish we had done. Oscar Wilde once wrote a play called The Ideal Husband, which has also been made into a great film. One of the characters in the movie is Sir Robert Chilton, who's a promising member of parliament. However, several years previously, Chilton had been involved in a few dodgy business deals, and now one of the other main characters, Mrs. Cheveley, has found out about it, and she wants to blackmail him. And at one point in their conversation, Sir Robert says to her, he says, I will give you any sum of money you want. And Mrs. Cheveley replies, even you are not rich enough, Sir Robert, to buy back your past. No man is. And if the truth about us were put up for everyone to see, there wouldn't be a single one of us who wouldn't be close to suicide. I can't keep my own standards, let alone the standards of God. But the solution isn't to hide and to cover up. John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness, give us an opportunity to start all over again. And then the fourth gift that God offers us this morning is joy. In fact, all of the other gifts that we've been looking at are characterized by joy. If you look at verse 4 again, he says, we write this to make your joy complete. And joy and confession actually go together. When you hear the word confession, you think of sadness and somberness and sackcloth and ashes and beating oneself up over things. The fact of the matter is that repentance is joyful as we leave the darkness and we come back to our Father. We stop hiding and we come openly and honestly before a God who knows all about us anyway and yet desperately loves us. You've only got to read Jesus' parable of the lost son to know this. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. The son who goes to a distant country, says to his dad, I wish you were dead, takes his inheritance money and goes and wastes it, then gets into trouble financially and thinks to himself, you know, I should go back to my dad just to work for him because it would be better than being here. And as he heads back, he prepares a little speech Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore, but please could I work for you as one of your servants? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the father has been looking out for his son every single day, looking towards the horizon, waiting for him to return. And when he sees the speck in the distance, he runs towards his boy. And the son begins his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy. The dad doesn't even let him finish. He grabs hold of his son, hugs him, shouts out, quick, Get a robe and put it on my boy. Get him some sandals. Someone kill a calf. Let's have a party and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive. He's lost and is now found. And Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Repentance is joy. God offers us joy today. In his book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper has this to say about joy. 
is that it wasn't always plain to me that pursuing God's glory would be virtually the same as pursuing my joy. Now I see that millions of people waste their lives because they think these paths are two and not one. Lily and Walter lived in quite a lot of style on the American West Coast. And for years, they had a faithful housekeeper, Thelma Howard, who looked after all their daily affairs with loyalty and commitment. She wasn't a complaining sort, and she wanted to give her employers the very best that she could, especially after the loss of their first child. But she did find herself rather disappointed every Christmas Uh, when there was this little ceremony that took place in her boss's study. Every Christmas she would be called in fairly formally into the study and she would be handed a slip of paper. She recognized her boss's name, Walt, on the paper, but that was about it. She didn't know what it was. She wouldn't have admitted to anybody, but she rather felt disappointed because she knew the family was doing fairly well financially and she would have preferred some money or perhaps a gift at Christmas time. But she wasn't the complaining sort, and so she left it and didn't think much about it. She faithfully kept these bits of paper in her drawer in her bedroom. Year after year, this happened. Eventually, she retired, and some years later, she died. When her family wound up her estate, they recognized these little slips of paper for what they were share certificates in the family firm Walt Disney. Thelma had died a multimillionaire. She left $4.5 million to disabled children and another $4 million to her son. You see, there was a difference between what she wanted for Christmas and what she needed for Christmas. And this morning, will we accept the gifts that God offers us in Christ Jesus, things that we really need, Life, fellowship, purity, joy. Things that will transform this Christmas. In fact, every Christmas. In fact, every day. Let's pray together. You know, there's actually a a very simple prayer that you could pray this morning to receive God's gifts. And it would go something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for living my life in your world without any reference to you. Please forgive me. Please come and take over my life. And thank you. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sin to bring me back to you. If you'd like to pray that prayer by yourself or with someone this morning, it would be great. I guarantee you it would be the best Christmas for you ever if you prayed that prayer. Because this is a prayer that God always answers yes. And so, Father, we want to thank you for the gifts that you give us in Jesus. Life, life in all its fullness. Purity, joy, fellowship with you. Lord, help us to open up our hands this morning and to receive that from your hand. In Jesus' name, amen.